I love the word, but I love the presence of the Lord. I'm grateful that he's with us. Um, Hebrews chapter 13, we're not going there, but verse 5 says that he helps us. We, we don't fear man because he never leaves us nor forsakes us. Verse number 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So I want you to turn with me for a few moments for 1 John chapter 1. I want us to visit a place that has just been revolutionary in my life and brought me to a closer understanding of, of beloved righteousness, of, of how beloved identity, you know, so many times we try to make it a behavior, you know, modification. We have to try to do behavior modification, but I firmly believe until we come to understand who we are, we can't fix our behavior. The religion always says, try harder. I was raised that way. Try harder. Well, I was always frustrated because I could never measure up to the standard that I thought God was looking for. And uh, I found out that when I discovered the kingdom messages, stop trying so hard and come to an understanding of beloved identity. Oh, my goodness. It's amazing because we've discovered Psalm 3410. The young lions lack and suffer hunger, but they that trust the Lord shall not want any good thing. Psalm 8411, the Lord God is a sun and shield. He will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly before him. Now, let me tell you, that's, that's where I had the struggle is walking uprightly. But I discovered that we are this thing called beloved righteousness, that Jesus was made to be sin for us. He was made to be what I was so I could become what he is. Amen. Come on, somebody. And uh, in understanding that truth, there is breakthrough all in that. So I, I've, I've found out that the first thing, there's a word called ontology that we talked about. Ontology is the science of being. The sun, solar energy, the sun doesn't try to create solar energy. The sun makes solar energy just because it is the sun. We have to learn how to harness that, that sunlight, to turn it into energy. I'm about to get happy right here sitting down in this chair. Because we, we have to come to a place where we understand. When I, when I begin to know how he feels about me, when, when I come to the place where I understand the way my father feels about me, that I quit trying so hard and I discover myself in a place of beloved righteousness, beloved identity. It, it's amazing. All of a sudden there's a rest that comes. And, and all of, uh, you know, I don't have to work on behavior modification anymore. I don't have to work because it just comes natural when I come to the place of beloved identity. I want to read from 1 John chapter 1. John discovered this. This is the same John over in chapter 21 that when Peter said, when Jesus told him to wait for, till you be endued with power from on high in Jerusalem, Peter, you know, he had denied Jesus three times. 
He was in failure. He was probably carrying a lot of shame and condemnation. Even though Jesus appeared to him, he told him and the other disciples, go wait till you be endued with power. Jesus had already spoke to his future. He didn't speak to his failure. He knew about his failure. Peter said, I'm going with you. If, even if the others forsake you, Lord, I'll never leave you. And Peter, Jesus said, Peter, he's got good intentions, right? Before the rooster crows tonight, you're going to deny that you know me three times. Another place, he said, but I prayed for you that when you're converted, strengthen your brothers. I prayed for you that your faith will not fail. Now, I want you to understand something about this. Jesus is not beating Peter up because he knows he's going to mess up. Peter knew something about the nature of God that Adam didn't know. Adam's the one who separated himself from God. God didn't change. How many know that Adam's sin did not change God? I'm going to, ooh, because he never changes. Sin changed Adam, and Adam separated himself from God. And the reason I know that, because Hebrews 11, uh, ooh, Lord, it's hard to sit still. Hebrews eleven six says, but without faith, it is impossible to please God. For they that come to God must believe that he is, ontology, and a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Then above that, it said Enoch walked with God and was not because God took him. Okay, think about this. Adam has been separated from God. He separated himself. God still showed up for the walk. Religion won't tell you this. God still showed up for the walk. He said, it was, it's, it's about time for us to have our walk. Where are you, Adam? Now, God didn't lose Adam. He knew exactly where he was. He's trying to get him to see himself. Where are you? Adam said, we knew we were naked and we hid. Adam's hiding. Peter in John 21 is swimming toward the shore but when he when John the beloved this guy that wrote 1st John 1st 2nd 3rd John and the book of Revelation and the gospel of John leans over to Peter and says it's the Lord after they caught so many fish they couldn't bring them in and Peter swims to Jesus what's the difference in their perspective of the nature of God why is Adam hiding and Peter is doing a Whatever you call it, he, he's doing a, 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 he's athletic and he's swimming to Jesus. Because he knows when Jesus looked at him that night, he didn't see any shame or condemnation in the eyes of the Lord. And he knew if he's who he says he is, then I need to get to him because he's going to help me understand who I am. So we see a great picture here unfold. And John writes in 1 John 1. Verse 1, this is from the Passion. We saw him with our very eyes, our own eyes. We gazed on him. We heard him speak. Our hands actually touched him. Now that word touch means to pluck the strings of an instrument. We've plucked the cords of his being and felt what motivated him, his melody within. Come on, that don't, that don't sound like religion, does it? We heard his heart. It said, our hands touched him, the one who was from the beginning, 
the living expression of God. Now, do you know that Jesus came to save us from sin? But he's also is the exact, exact expression of the Father. Peter said, show us the Father and, and it'll be enough. And Jesus said, have I been with you so long that you don't know? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I need to question anything that I see in Jesus that's not in the Father. That, that, I'm, that I'm not doubting that's in the Father. Because Jesus showed us exactly what the Father's like. Now, later on you're going to hear me talk about how he sends the Holy Spirit to show us what Jesus is like. I'm going to give you scripture for it. So we can't really know what the Father's like unless we know what Jesus is like. We can't really know what Jesus is like unless we allow the Holy Spirit to show us what he's like. So Jesus, the Holy Spirit didn't come just to make us bilingual. He, he didn't come to make us bilingual. He came to show Jesus. I'm going to read it for you in a minute. Let me, let me read on. I feel the preacher in the house. Verse 2, the life giver was made visible and we have seen him. We testified of this truth. The eternal life giver lived face to face with the Father and has not dawned upon us. Now, remember John chapter 1 in the King James? There's people who think God speaks in King James. I'm sorry. That language is used in the 1600s. And uh, there's some weak translations in that in that translation. So it says in, the, in John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. That word with, is, it's pros. It means face to face. And the Word, Jesus, was face to face with the Father. Oh. There's something called perichoresis. Perichoresis comes from a dual word. Peri means circle. Choresis means chorus or dance. Circle dance. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit wanted us in the circle dance. Come on, somebody. Ooh, I'm going to be a sight. It's going to be a sight. Because he's bringing me into this understanding of the celebration of life because he's showing me who I am through who he is. And he will show you who you were created to be so that you don't have to try to fit the mold I don't have anything to prove anymore. I'll be 68 in October 1st, okay? I'm like two 34-year-olds in a, in a, trapped in a 68-year-old body, and, and I'm going to celebrate. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a time. My granddad lived to be 97. Uh, many of you have heard the story. I called him up. He was 93. I said, how you doing, granddad? He said, I ain't doing too good. I said, what is it? He said, I just took the transmission out of my old Buick. And I said, boy, that inspires me, granddad. I hope I got those genes. Because I'm going to enjoy the journey, right? So he says, he was face to face with the Father and now has dawned upon us. So we proclaim to you that we've seen and heard about this life giver so that we may share and enjoy this life together. For truly our fellowship, that koinonia, that means partnership, that means a sharer in, this is with the Father. I want to talk about union with the Father. This koinonia is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus, the Anointed One. We're writing these things to you because we want to release to you our fullness of joy. 
This is the life-giving message we heard him share, and it's still ringing in our ears. This is where I wanted to get to. We now repeat his words to you. God is pure light. He will ne- you will never find even a trace of darkness in him. Now, there's something called penal substitutionary atonement theory. If you've been in church very much, you may have heard that term. The penal substitutionary atonement theory. That's not the gospel. It's what the Western culture of religion has, has brought to the table. And it's, it's very manipulative. It's like, okay, God needed and God's bloodthirst. God had sent his son to earth and he needed to beat one of his sons so he wouldn't beat all of us. So Isaiah 53 said, we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God. Why is that in there? It, we we figured esteem means we figured he was beaten by God, which is not true. No, Jesus was smuggled into our delusion. I need to stand up for this. He was smuggled into our delusion, so we could blow it up our perspective from the inside out, so we begin to see the Father as He really is, and He blew it up with love. God is love, so is Jesus. Jesus came to show us the Father's love. He show us, came to show us what the Father's like. Hang with me. He said in Luke 11, verse 34, Jesus', Jesus words, the light of the body is the eye. That's a different word than phos. I'm going to go there in a moment, but this word for light is Lupnos. It, it literally means lamp. The light, the lamp of the body is the eye. He said, when your eye is single, now that, that word single doesn't really mean single. It comes from a word haplos. It, it's an adjective and, and it, it means to be folded together and it actually comes from pleco, which means to braid, to twine together. So hang with me. If your eye, if, if the way you see yourself, that's the most important thing, is plaited with the way the Father sees you, your whole body is going to be full of light. Ooh. If you have that understanding, if, if, you are on, if you have that same vibrational match, if I could use that word, that the Father has, that He sees you as beloved, then your whole body is going to be full of light. Watch. But when your eye is evil, that word means bad, but evil, paneros, it means full of labors, annoyances, hardships, pressed and harassed by labors, toils, annoyances, perils. In a physical sense, diseased or blind. Yeah. That means if you, come on, you, how many know that you can't curse the darkness, you can't rebuke the darkness, you can't point your finger at the darkness and change anything? 
The only thing that will dissipate the darkness is the light. So the analogy of darkness is the lack of knowledge. How many know that everything, when we think about darkness, the, the, the character of my fellowship, my koinonia with God, is my willingness to obey Him and, and believe the truth about who He sees me to be. So there's a difference in being religious and having true fellowship with God. So when you think about darkness, everything that's, that's done in darkness is, 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 it can bring fear. Most sinful things, the devil's called the prince of darkness. So most sinful things, crimes are committed in the dark. So he said, if we claim that we share life with him, but keep walking in the realm of darkness, we're fooling ourselves and not living the truth. But if we keep living in the pure light that surrounds him, here is union with the Father. Through his son, Jesus. We share unbroken fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, continually cleanses us from all sin. That means even unknown sin. Verse 8. If we boast that we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and strangers to the truth. But if we freely admit our sins when his light uncovers them, Come on, this fellowship with the Father will uncover those areas that we're even unaware of. I can tell you from experience. It says, He will be faithful to forgive us every time. God is just to forgive us our sins because of Christ, and He will continue to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That word unrighteousness in this context means the sins we're not aware of. Confession cleanses known sin and restores fellowship with God, but God's faithfulness in seeing Christ as our sin bearer cleanses us from all unknown sin as well. It does, God will do four things. Number one, he'll demonstrate his faithful love. John said in 1 John 4, 8, God is love. It doesn't mean that God loves, it means his very essence is love. Verse 16, God is love. Anything, that's perfect love. Now, let me tell you about perfect love. Perfect love can only be perfect if it's not diminished by even one degree. There's nothing you can do to change God, to change that love. I think he's fascinated with each one of us. Whether we believe him, acknowledge him, I think God is just waiting for that, that light, the lights to come on. So God will demonstrate his faithful love. Hey, all of us, there's nobody hungry here, right? There's nobody that don't have the air conditioners working. Thank you, Lord. The lights are on. Man, we're sitting here and, and there's no emergency right now. And, and boy, that's enough to give him thanks. I thank you, Lord. So he demonstrates his faithful love. He demonstrates justice by countering our sins paid for by Christ. Forgive us, he forgives us of every sin. Number three. Number four, he continues a deeper work of cleansing. So 
all aspects of sin's defilement is taken away from us and brings us into that, that foss, that luminescent anthropology, okay? Anthropology is a study of culture, right? Luminescent. Reminds you of the Alka-Seltzer commercials I grew up with. Plop, plop, fizz, fizz, oh, what a relief it is. You see the effervescence coming off the tablets in the water. That's the way he wants us to be. He wants us to be luminescent. So his very nature is just emanating. We're in so walking in the light that, that we become full of light. Now, I want to take you another couple of places. John chapter 8, verse 12. Is this good? Absolutely. Jesus said to Peter at the fire. Remember the last fire he was at, Jesus, Peter denied Jesus. Jesus built a new fire. Come on, there's a place of restoration he has reserved just for me and you. Peter's, he's got breakfast ready. They've got all these fish. Peter drags it out of the water, 153. I won't get into the details of God is so on purpose. And Jesus begins to ask Peter, do you love me? Simon Bar-Jonah. Simon, son of Jonah. Remember Jonah, right? Jesus told him, oh, God told him to go preach to Nineveh. He went to Tarsus, got swallowed by a fish. Jesus is calling Peter, son of Jonah. Because <laughs> Peter didn't go to the city. He went fishing. But he didn't kick him to the curb because he disobeyed. He's restoring him. He said, Lord, I love you. He said, feed my lambs. Second time, do you love me? Simon, Simeon means one who hears. Let me tell you, you can get so caught up in your own shame and your own condemnation, your own stuff, your own failure, that you can't hear the voice of the Lord for the noise of the condemnation that's going on in you. But I'm here to just give you good news. It's, it's better news than we thought it was. Woo, hallelujah. Peter, Simon, do you love me? You know I love you, Lord. Feed my sheep. Third time, Peter, do you love me? He's grieved by now because Jesus asked him the third time in a row, because, see, he denied him three times. Jesus has just restored him three times, making him whole, completely whole. Three is the number of manifestation. He's about to show Peter something. Peter said, Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. With I burn with passion for you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Peter, he tells him how he's going to die. Now, remember, Peter was going with Jesus to the cross. Everybody will forsake you, but I won't. He did. Now, Jesus is telling him, you're going to get the opportunity, Peter. You're going to stretch out your hand. We know he was crucified upside down because he said he wasn't worthy to be crucified like Jesus, his Lord. So he says to Peter, Peter, I know you missed it. I know you messed up. But we're right back where we started. If you look back over in the scriptures, you find that Jesus first met Peter on the Sea of Galilee when the crowds are so 
So many around Jesus, he couldn't preach. So he said, Peter, let me borrow your boat. I need a pulpit. And he gets in the, in the boat and they launch out a little from the shore. And he teaches the people when he finishes. He says to Peter, in the daytime, they don't fish in the daytime. They fish at night because the fish can't see the net. And they figure they'll catch more. They're about to have an eye-opener right here because it's all about beloved identity. Don't matter when you're fishing. If you know how much you're loved, you're going to do good. My dad used to meet guys who say, well, the fish ain't biting right now. Daddy said, my dad would tell him, he said, the fish are always biting. You just got to know what to put in front of them. <laughs> and uh, so... Peter, I know you missed it. I know you messed up. But we're right back where we started. Follow me. Wow. That's amazing. So when you think about John 8, Jesus said in verse 12, I'm the light of the world. Those who embrace me will experience life-giving light and they will never walk in darkness. That word walk, it's Aramaic. They'll never be driven or pushed by the darkness. Let me tell you what, the darkness of the world, it, it'll bring fear to you. Bad news. I don't watch the news. I mean, every now and then I'll see what the weather's going to be. But I don't, I pray for all of them because I don't really believe most of them. And, and it's important. <laughs> Boy, it makes me feel good. I feel almost like, nah, so it's important who you listen to. It's important. So it's important. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. He who embraces me will never experience, he'll experience life-giving light and they will never walk in darkness. Never be pushed by the darkness. Now, okay, let's go to Matthew 5. Verse 14. Okay, Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. The foss. I'm the life giver. Life and light are so connected. Verse 14. You are the light of the world. Wait a minute. This is Jesus. He just said over in John 8, I'm the light of the world. Now he says, you're the light of the world. For how can you hide a city that stands on a hilltop? Who would light a lamp? There's that word again. And then hide it in an obscure place instead of its place where everyone in the house can benefit from its light. So don't hide your light. Let it shine brightly before others so that your commendable works will shine as light upon them and they'll give their praise to your Father in heaven. This thing about good cop, bad cop. Religion in many ways will make you think, and this is by no means pointing to anyone who's religious because this is not about, this is, some people are trapped in this religious frustration of never being able to measure up. And I've, I've found a relationship that's far deeper and more exciting than religion could ever. In the New Testament, religion's only mentioned five times. And every time it's Jesus is talking about the religion of the Pharisees or the people that would hinder others from, 
from believing. The only place it's spoken positively is where Jesus says pure religion is to visit the fatherless and the widows. So he says your light, your lives light up the world. So what does that mean? That means that I want to be in such fellowship with the Father. I want to know how he feels about me. I want to know what the Father feels about me. And I found out Jesus came to show us what the Father's like. Remember John chapter 8? He started that chapter where he later says, I'm the light of the world. The Pharisees escorted a woman caught in adultery. Threw, him down, threw her down right there in the ground in front of Jesus. And they're bringing the law. The law says, Moses' law says she's supposed to. My problem is Moses' law also said the man's supposed to be stoned. Where is he? Because religion will always leave something undone. And so they, they might, he might be standing there with those guys. She was caught in the act of adultery. How'd they know where to find her? Come on now. <laughs> so they said, Moses' law says she's supposed to be stoned to death. What do you say? I want you to look at perfect love. I want you to see how the Father feels about. Do you believe God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself? It wasn't just Jesus said, the words that I speak, I've heard my Father say. The works that I'm doing, I've seen my Father do. Here's this woman in the dirt. Jesus gets down in the dirt too. Starts writing. A lot of speculation and conjecture about what he's writing. Who cares? It's what he said that mattered. He looks up at all of them and says, okay, they got rocks in their hand. They're ready. And the only one that's worthy is, is talking to them. Okay, the one of you that's without sin, you throw the first stone. Then he starts writing again. I can imagine as he listens and hears the thud of stones from the oldest to the youngest hit the courtyard as they leave, convicted by the words of perfect love. He looks up at that woman and says, where are your judge, those, ju those condemners? Where's your accusers? She said, Lord, I don't have any. He said, you won't find it in me either. <laughs> Go. When he said, and sin no more, that word sin comes from a word harmatia. I know we've heard miss the mark. Let me, let me take you deeper. Harmatia means to be without form. I remember sitting 40 feet up in a tree stand. Old Baker, thank the Lord for his grace that kept me safe up in that old Baker tree stand because I was 40 feet up on thousands of acres that I had not seen a truck or a person when I drove in before daylight that morning. But I would meditate and I would pray and talk to the Lord. And I remember he said something to me I'll never forget. That was back in the 90s. He said, I want you to let 
especially the young people. I want you to let them know that the world's opinions are like chisels. It'll chisel away at you. The fads and the opinions of others are like chisels that try to make you into something I never intended for you to be. You, I want to tell you what he, what you, who you are. You were, you were loved by the Father, and you are an original. I remember one time trying to preach like other guys, man. I just really would listen to them, and I, and the Lord said, "I didn't call you to be like them." He said, "I called you to be like you." the you I chose you to be. Now, ontology means to be, right? The son don't have to try. It just is. So our great responsibility is to discover our ontology. Then we can find out what the teleology is. That's the purpose. Many people said, why why am I here? I want to tell you, number one, you're here to be deeply loved. You're here to be loved by the Father who sees you and is fascinated with you. I know because Matthew 13 gives us seven parables. And in those seven parables, I I found such a a, a revelation. For years, and you've heard me say it, but I, I don't want you to forget. Peter said, I want to put you in remembrance. So you might hear me something, say something over again. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like a a man who finds a treasure in a field. And for great joy, he hides the treasure, goes and sells everything he has, and comes to buy the field so he can have the treasure. I used to think that was, I was taught. That was me finding Jesus. That was backwards. What I want with the world what, why would I sell everything and buy the world? For God so loved the world. So here's, here's the truth of the matter. Jesus is the man, the merchant, who comes to the field. He finds you in the field, the world. The field is the world. Verse 38 of that chapter says the field is the world. In Matthew 13, those seven parables, the field is the world. He comes to the world and he finds you, the treasure. He said, I'm not living without that that treasure. And he goes and sells everything he has and buys the whole field. He didn't take us on to heaven. You know why? Because he's left us in the field because he wants to redeem the field. You know how he wants to do it? He wants to let, he wants to let you be the luminescence. That, that, that light in the dark place. And the people that sat in darkness have seen a great light. They said, Ooh, arise, shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. They that sat in darkness have seen a great light. Now, hang with me. It's important that we understand. So I've been to these other countries. And, and you know... There's a lot of people who measure you by what you possess. And many times, we're not happy if life isn't a certain way. 
But I, I went to India. I remember being in India and the children would just lock on to you. Man, the love, it, it was amazing. Nobody told them they were poor. They were happy. Nobody told them they didn't have air conditioning. They were happy. <laughs> Passed by one lot where there's children drinking a, out of a dirty water bottle when, with just a loincloth. Nobody told them. They were in Africa. I remember going to Africa. I got a picture with a little boy in U Uganda that's just all smiles. Lived in a grass-thatched, mud-thatched hut. Nobody told him. <laughs> Nobody told him there was anything any better. He was happy. So it, it's important. I, so I remember one time, this. I know it was planted in me by the Holy Spirit. He said, you're never going to be happy anywhere else to get happy where you are. Amen. If I could just be over here. If I could just be there. No, here, here's how it happens. When you get in union with the Father, you know that that's where breakthrough is. That's where all of our breakthroughs are. Is, is in knowing the Father and knowing how He feels about us. So when you think about Jesus said, you're the light of the world. And then John says, in Him, we've seen Him. This is the life-giving message we've heard him share and it's still ringing in our ears. We now repeat his words to you. God is pure light. He will, you will never find even a trace of darkness in him. That means no darkness at all can be found any place in him. Now, just before Jesus went to the cross, John 14 or so, Jesus said the prince of this world is coming. He's about to go to the Mount of Olives to do that agonizing prayer, John 17. He's about to go to the cross. He said, the prince of this world coming and he has nothing he can use against me. So if there's no darkness in, in the Father, there's no darkness in Jesus. And guess what? He don't want any darkness in us. My eyes... If I see that the way he sees it, if I see myself the way he sees me, beloved identity, oh, then all of a sudden something happens. I'm, I'm, I don't have to try harder anymore. I, I don't have to try to impress my father. He's already mesmerized by the treasure. That's not... That's not pride and arrogancy. That's respect. That's, that's confidence. Having this confidence that he who started a good work in you will complete it till the day of Jesus. So Jesus came to show us what the Father's like. Do you believe that? He said to, he said to Philip, he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He, John said he's the exact expression of the Father. So Jesus said, I'm going to send you another comforter. One translation says another savior, a redeemer from the curse. He's going to take what's mine. 
When he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. Now, if the penal substitutionary atonement theory were the gospel, then Acts missed the whole message. In fact, Jesus didn't even preach that. So he said, I'm going to send you another comforter. He's going to be with you and he'll be in you. To do what? To show me what Jesus is like. Jesus said, everything that the Father has, has been given to me. Therefore, the Holy Spirit will take what's mine and show it to you. Now, let me tell you two things. First, the Holy Spirit will come abide with us. Then when Jesus said, he will show you what's mine, that word means to render. It means to, he's going he's gonna to not only take what's mine, he's going to take who I am and make it real, render it in, and create in you. Paul said, I groan and travail to the Galatian church until Christ be formed in you. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Where I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is reasonable service or worship. Don't be conformed to the world. Don't let the world chisel away at you and make you into somebody God never intended for you to be. You don't have to impress anybody. Whew. What freedom. Just be ontology. And then you're going to find, when you understand who he is, you'll discover who you are. And then when you discover who you are, you'll realize why you're here. Because whatever that desire is, whatever that desire the Father has, it's going to unfold in you. When you're face to face with the Father, you're going to see it in his eyes. What does that mean? I am so wrapped up in this in this truth because it's changed my life and, and I see it changing the lives of my family people who and they don't even know why and I say okay Lord I see what you're doing it's amazing to watch this liberty and this freedom come and so so the Holy Spirit is here to show me what Jesus is like because if I see Jesus the way the Holy Spirit wants me to see him, I'm going to see the Father with a right perspective. And if I see that, I'm going to see me like he sees me. I will say one more thing. I don't know what time it is, but I'm a firm believer that what we do does not define who we are. I think our perspective of who we are defines what we do. I think, we, I think our actions usually is connected to our identity. I don't think it's that much of a behavior problem as it is an identity problem. When I went to Africa, I was there... To refute the orphan spirit. When I was in India, 
150,000 kids when the Bay of Bengal was hit by a tsunami. There was 150,000 children walking the beaches because their parents had been washed out in the ocean. They were orphans. When I went there to the orphanage and saw where they lived, you wouldn't know it because they were just glowing with joy because they had a place to live. And many of them wanted to come home with us, you know. It was fully, I came home and I would see their faces and I'd just start weeping again because I'd see those children. But Paul talks about this orphan spirit in Romans chapter 8. I believe that there's people who have their parents but still have an orphan spirit. An orphan spirit is someone who don't feel like they belong or they know anyone who really cares. But here's what Paul said. Paul said, you have not been given the spirit of religious duty so that you're held captive by trying so hard. Then he said this, he said, he said, but you have received the spirit of beloved righteousness, of adoption. Now that adoption doesn't mean that you're a stepchild. That adoption means you have his DNA. It's the word born again, born comes from the word ganeo. I've been ganeo, I've been reganeoed. I've been regenerated. I've been born again. I've been born of God. Uh, John chapter 1, born of God, born from above. Whew. So, he said, you will never feel orphaned again. Where does that freedom come from? It comes from knowing how much you're loved. It comes from knowing who you are. This knowledge of how the Father sees you. That no longer is it about this brokenness that I carry. Because I'm trying to find my purpose. I know why I'm here. I know exactly why I'm here. Because I know how much he loves me. And all of a sudden, I found this place of absolute... All the stuff, the trappings, just begin to fall off. And there's such liberty. Man. So it's exciting. In the Father, there is no darkness at all. You'll find not a trace of darkness. That means that He's not trying to keep anything from us. He's trying to get it to us. I want you to stand with me.